This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hello and welcome to Who Podcast. I'm Freya and I'm here with Bethany. Hello. And Jen. Morning. <laughs> I had to, it's, it's, a, it's obligatory. It's, it's only just past morning actually this time, so that's fine. We, <laughs> we could count it. It's, the, it's still morning for me. I got up late. <laughs> Oh. I got up like six oh, minutes ago, so you know it's still morning for you. Yeah, it's it's morning. <laughs> this anyway, is why you don't should... go out to and, and stay out and get back at like two a.m. in the morning. Mistakes. But keep going. Also, we're just chatting about normal stuff yeah. rather than Doctor no, 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 Who. No, but... we've got we've got Doctor Who to chat about. <laughs> we do, we do. Um, we're going to start off with the Runaway Bride. Basically, the aftermath of what happened in that amazing cliffhanger where Donna just turns up in the TARDIS. And also the aftermath of what happens with Rose Be Gone. Um, uh, yeah, ow. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's immediately after Doomsday. I always forget that. And then... Yeah, no, it is. It is straight after... Like, literally, uh, less than two... Like, the episode begins as Doomsday ends, exactly. So it is ten in the immediate aftermath of Rose being, uh, you know, like... Uh, this uh, and no one, no one who's listening. Your physical, that. your physical gesture is wasted on the podcast. You know, um, I'm well aware that no one's actually going to get that. Dear listener, uh, Joe just did a beautiful rose pressing her hands against the wall between parallel universes of the Zoom box. So <laughs> yes. I, I was going to explain, but because obviously it was wonderful not getting that, but I needed to do the gesture anyway. Um, you know. Uh, so but yeah, she, the, the important thing about this episode, introduction of Donna. Donna, I love her. I, I, quite, I quite like the like the dynamic between the two of them because they're friends, they're not lovers. That mm. mainly why Definitely. my favorite is Matt Smith and Amy and Robbie, which we'll be talking about later, maybe. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love the friendly dynamic between the Doctor and Donna, just because it makes their banter so much better, mm. and it's nice for the Doctor, like especially in the Tense aftermath case. of like intense case because he's had Rose then obviously Donna leaves he has Martha then she comes back so when they actually are traveling together properly it's really nice to have that because he's had uh, sort of romantic entanglements whether like one-sided or reciprocated for both of his previous companions and it's just nice to have a friend yeah um yeah. also I mean, it makes their banter it's a lot there's a lot less weight on it because there's always a, a a slight anxiety a fear of misstepping in some ways especially with martha like because she's just always like wants to get in many ways wants at least throughout most of series three wants to get like tens attention and wants to show him how much she cares about him but she can't and with donna there's there's no pressure there's no obligation there's just watch it spaceman um, <laughs> which is you know it's, it's a lot of fun uh oh you watch it earth girl uh, <laughs> i love those lines <laughs> i love them so much uh i i just remembered we should do a spoiler warning you know we've already spoiled doomsday we've already uh <laughs> spoiled um I mean, it's runaway bride. It's just tradition that I don't do it anymore. Yeah, well, you know, spoilers for New Who and Torchwood. Uh, and I don't think we'll discuss Classic Who. We might discuss Big Finish, Freya's on the podcast. Um, 
yeah if i hear watch out big finish might be discussed yeah. i actually i don't know how i'm gonna fit it in here but oh actually i could do it because donna gets her own series big finish. nice um but let's yeah. let's talk more i mean the donna doctor dynamic the doctor donna dynamic i should say Dr. Donna. Um, <laughs> it's just so fluid and snappy and entertaining uh donna stat like you know it's a very much a partnership between equals which is not yeah she won't let him with say that she's lesser like, yeah um which doesn't all i mean it's often more the case in new who than it is in classic who uh in my opinion anyway yeah uh, it feels like the classic who companions are usually more uh like not exactly um but like just secondary to the doctor in a way like the doctor is the center and they revolve around the doctor and i think sometimes some of moffat's stuff can re- delve into that too and chibnall's stuff oh my god but <laughs> donna does. is like i don't need you i'm my own person and you and you know she's i mean she is a real flawed character she has her insecurities her moments and it just helps to make us so much more human and entertaining and like just in some ways it's um like just in terms of how the dynamic works it is so much you know the doctor doesn't tell donna what to do and donna doesn't really tell the doctor what to do either they just kind of snap at each other a bunch and it's so fun it's nice and the fact that like a lot of interactions with the doctor with companions uh, they just immediately assume that the doctor knows more than them and just says something like oh yeah no i'll do whatever like i'm gonna basically follow what you say and the, and donna still does that to some extent she says like no I, i'm sticking with you because this is how i'm gonna not die she recognizes that that is a good thing to do but also on the other hand basically disagrees with everything he says <laughs> so i i love it I think with like the new who, but not when they are not in like the sort of romantic feelings for the doctor, they sort of function as a direction for the doctor as well. Mm. I mean, especially for like Clara and, and 12, that feels a bit like that. They need to, the doctor needs them to be there, to be kept reminding, to not delve into that deep space of like, mm. I can do anything. You don't, there's no one to stop me. I think yes, that, definitely. That's very true as well for nine and Rose, and then yeah. uh, ten and anyone by the end. Um, <laughs> <given> <laughs> you go full time Lord Victorious. Yeah. Oh dear. Um, um, but yeah, well, actually, that is definitely seen in the conclusion of this one. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that becomes one of the mm. basis for like turn no, left. Yeah. No, he... Runaway Bride. The whole point at the end is that Donna is the person to tell the Doctor to stop. If the Doctor had stayed there, uh, I don't know if, for example, the Ragnos Queen would have been able to teleport away. Um, he would have finished the job, certainly, uh, but he would have stayed there because he didn't care enough about living and he didn't, you know, he'd lost so much that he just didn't want to go on. And it's because Donna was there to say, no, you don't need to do this. You can stop now. We can guess what, like, you know, you can live. And it is that influence that is so important for the new who doctors uh not so much for classic who doctors in the slightest they just kind of go around as intergalactic hobos chaos hobos I love <laughs> yeah, <that. it's> true. <laughs> uh, 
but you know new who doctors are somewhat different than that and it's yeah you know, definitely they often need the companion a lot more i think and i think it's specifically after the time war as well mm. it makes a lot of yeah. sense because the doctor's carrying all that weight like the genocide of a species his species well there if you're including 13 um but uh yeah it's like a big weight to carry and i think that does no, it's not there if you're including 13. If you're including 13, it's no longer their species because the Doctor is not a Time Lord. <sighs> the Time's Children didn't happen. Questionable. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know, I'm just nitpicking to mess around. I'm sorry. <laughs> this reminded me that it exists. Uh, I hate I it here. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. Actually, we should talk about the Ragnos because the Ragnos is cool. Mm. It's a really, I mean, you know, like the Ragnos manages to combine the most like camp, uh, like hu- like visual expressive and over the top effects of almost any new who monster, uh, because it's a person in prosthetics, but in this gigantic, I assume, uh, like either like suit <clears throat> or like prop or something. Uh, I don't know exactly what it is. Um, to be fair. It might be CGI, but I don't think it is. It I don't think it is. I, th- I was looking at it and thinking it's practical effects, but actually yeah. I do prefer practical effects in oh, some I ways to CGI, effects. because oh, imagine right. if that was properly CGI'd, like how rubbish would, would been that be? Really have expressive, uh, I think. And it's especially because you get the actress in you know all the makeup and stuff, but it's that kind of absolute expressiveness that sells yeah. the Ragnos as a villain that, a lot of Doctor Who villains don't always get, um, especially if they are CGI'd. Mm, definitely. Yeah, I think that the prolonged scene of her like crying, my children, was a bit to get you to empathize with the villain as well. Mm. I mean, yeah, you know, like for all her flaws, uh, she is a loving mother. Yeah. Uh, Freya, doesn't that <laughs> remind you of something? Or... I knew you were going to go there. I knew you were. <laughs> I'm confused. Where are we going? <laughs> uh, Joe, Joe is wittily referring to the fact that I really love Marissa Coulter from His Dark Materials, who is, ah. is a very loving mother. She's a very loving mother. She also happens to be an absolute cesspit of moral filth, but um, she's a very loving mother. So that's, yeah, I'm not going to slander her on this podcast. It's I, not I happening. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's quite dark, actually. Hold on a moment. With the, I mean, oh, sorry, sorry, no, no, you go on. <laughs> you go. I, I wasn't saying anything of I note. Just, I just remembered something. This is a Christmas special and we haven't mentioned Christmas yet. What are we doing? Oh, yeah, that's the point. I, I did uh, actually have Return of the Killer Christmas Trees in the notes. Christmas. You know, we've got Killer Christmas Trees. We've got uh, Santas with brass band weapons. I love the brass band weapons. They're always so good, especially having been in a brass band. I'm like... It's a tuba. Um, but, no. <laughs> um, but like, I always get this, um, you know, um, like being the one person in there to recognize, oh, that, like from the Christmas invasion anyway, because they don't have one of them in uh, this episode. But it's like, that's a euphonium player. Oh my God, playing the euphonium. It's a euphist. Um, like, that is the term. <laughs> but uh, to me, they're just really cool, like musical instruments. I don't know yeah, their names. Like, also, <laughs> Instruments as weapons, and it's just the Christmas spirit of these evil <laughs> the Christmas Santas. spirit it's using hilarious. a euphonium to kill people. Yes, it's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. It's over the top camp, but it's exactly the kind of camp that a Christmas special 
that folk like has this should be, you know, um, I mean, outside of the end of time, which even does get in a little bit of the camp to be fair, but in a very dramatic way, uh, all of RTD's Christmas specials are over the top camp and it's just wonderful. This is back when Christmas specials were actually good. <laughs> and that's with uh, my favourite actually accepted because Husbands mm, of River Song is the best one. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's my favourite one as well. <laughs> it's <laughs> just, that's fair. Husbands it's of just River so good. Song is magnanimous. But I think I used to love as a kid every Christmas just watching the, the Russell like RTD Christmas specials because they're just like, oh, they're so much better because of the camp because at Christmas you want a bit of camp. You want killer Christmas trees throwing explosive baubles at people. <laughs> you, it's just a thing that like, works. Going to say that Voyage of the Damned isn't camp. It's a lot more dramatic. It's a lot more serious. But actually, you know, they have killer angels going information kill i mean max um, capricorn yeah and max cap i mean <laughs> like, and my name is max <laughs> see, I mean, yeah exactly you're doing it now. nowadays watching that episode always does bring to mind uh recent political figure allegories for kind of businessmen turn to uh, opportunistic yeah. crashing but it makes it so much more prescient and so much more of a horrid villain that's so camp and perfectly executed and yet horrific in the same time which is wonderful can russell t davis stop predicting political features with his stop two please thanks <laughs> would like to say hello by the way uh, just to annoy joseph booker did you know the editor is a time lord <laughs> <laughs> also talking of um lords in general should we move on to the dream lord the dream lord um i mean yeah that's runaway bride utterly fantastic episode got a lot of things the one thing we didn't talk about is lance but that's good because he doesn't deserve to be talked about no. amy's choice don't like lance but yes amy's choice um well, but i mean toby jones always plays the villain but he's just got that face he's just good at it he's just so good at it mm. but yeah the he's got that that's smarm about him. He's smarmy. Yeah, I love how we love him so much that we've gone straight into talking about him before the actual um <laughs> dis describe the episode. I always forget he doesn't appear until like a third of the way in. Like the first yeah, yeah, he's so good that you assume he's there from the beginning. Oh, yeah. I was actually thinking that when we were watching it. I was like, when's he turning up? It's longer yeah. than I thought. Yeah, no, because they spend so long establishing it and establishing the fact that they're going between these two dreams before they even introduce him. And that actually makes the episode a lot more effective than I remember. I, I was actually thinking that the, the same thing because um yeah watching them work it out at the same time as we're working it out because they're just as confused as we are. I like being on the same footing as them. It mm. sort of makes you feel a lot more involved. Um, if the Dream Lord came in and just delivered a bunch of exposition in their general direction right from the beginning. It would it, be a chimnal episode. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, we we ha we have to we have a little cutaway. We have already. a little cutaway. It would like pop up first. You have to remember it has up Leavenworth twenty like um twenty ten. But then it would like cut in a second later with Upper when they did that. Obviously, <laughs> oh, that's yeah, how Chibnall would do it. Then you'd cut to um the TARDIS, and it would say like uh the the cold star fusion sector or something like that um your knowledge of how this would go is scary because you're absolutely <laughs> right then you'd have a different scene where it would just cut away to the dream lord in like a black void it would say unknown in big letters and you'd just go 
Oh, you're stuck in the dreams, are you? <laughs> You'll never figure out which of these two <laughs> fake dreams is real because neither of them are. Spoiling the big reveal at the end of the episode. And then that like that would be the first scene. Yeah. That would be how it happens. Yep, you're right. <laughs> I really, I really like the twist at the very end, revealing that both of them are real. No, it's a, such a good twist. It makes so much sense in context, and it's absolutely like, and it just helps to like establish the episode that ultimately, you know, both of them were dreams. And normally, normally in most works of fiction, it was all a dream is the laziest and stupidest resolution to a plot ever because it renders every single struggle the characters faced meaningless this is such a solid exception to what you can do with dream plots if you don't use them to just kind of resolve any inconsistencies only at the end um yeah actually it makes it more meaningful what exactly because it really it brings the title into play it really does become amy's choice because when both dreams are fake it doesn't really matter which they pick, but it, the decision falls to her. She's essentially picking between the Doctor and Rory. And I mean, she's not car- exactly picking between the Doctor <clears throat> and Rory, to be fair. It's, that's one thing that people have always raised. And it's, a notable, like, it's notable in the context of the episode because that is a raised dilemma. But ultimately, she is saying, no, I'm not leaving Rory. But she's not removing the Doctor because of it. She is going back to the TARDIS where... You know, all of them are dying. And if that was reality and the dream law didn't save them, then all of them would die. But she would be happy to have a couple extra moments with Rory. It is not her picking Rory over the doctor. It is in many ways her picking Rory over herself. I mean, that's true. But also she is picking Rory over the doctor in the fact that when she kills herself in the dream, she assumes that... Like it could that could be it. That could she be makes it. the decision based on whether Rory's in it or not, and yes. she we- knows that the Doctor can. Like she knows about regeneration energy at this point, so she knows that the Doctor can live on after her. She is removing the Doctor does from her life, and she's re- energy at this point. I'm pretty sure she does. I just think like Amy thinks maybe the Doctor can take care of himself, and Rory she definitely cares for him more because I remember a part of a scene from where they were back on the frozen TARDIS and they were both like Doctor and Rory are both lying on the floor and then she mm. when this when she sees that their hands are all out of the blanket so she covers it up for Rory but not for the Doctor I think that was very interesting mm. to watch mm. and you do have that scene earlier in the episode when the dream Lord says oh it's going to be Amy's choice and Amy's like I already have chosen it's it's you Nimwit um, <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, because, I mean, Rory is insecure about it, and fair enough, you know, like, I would understand, but ultimately, he he is the one that Amy does care about, and it does, in some ways, frustrate me sometimes that the love triangle was, in some way, kept going for so long, but ultimately it's like, it is Amy would always pick Rory, that is part of who she is, and that is a reason why I forgive it even if the writers seem to like to you know it was pushed too long but i like it in this episode in particular because this this is this is the resolution that it needed in a way like uh, amy needed it should have in some ways stopped here because this is the episode that shows amy would choose rory 
over the Doctor. Um, and mind you, it only got its actual proper resolution in like partially in God Complex and then finally in Angels Take Manhattan where Amy made the same choice again. Yeah. Uh, which But actually I, I like in that case, because that's how it, they ended, I like the fact that it was sort of almost kept going a bit because then no, her final that. because then her final choice has to be made. And mm. This time, and even though she's made the choice a whole bunch of times before, this and proven she that she'll make it real, yeah, this time she is removing the doctor. This time she knows that she'll never see him again and has yeah. to make the choice permanently, and it's still the same answer. And mm. that's what I really like about that. That's, um, but okay, actually, I agree with that actually, yeah. I also remember this, I'm not sure which doctor this is even, but like this what at one point someone says to the doctor that they all leave you when they grow up. And so that feels like the ending of Amy and Rory feels a bit like that because Rory is something, some, not something, sorry, someone Amy could grow old with, but not the Doctor. Mm. Definitely. They, they do sort of end up growing out of him, almost. Many of them do. I think it was in this episode, to be fair, the Dream Lord did say that to the Doctor, to uh, Eleven, which is especially poignant for Eleven, given Eleven is probably the most childish doctor yeah, yeah. <laughs> um like far and away the most childish doctor but that's I mean, why he takes he can have his like dark moments that. but his dark moments are in some ways you know the anger that a child can genuinely bear um which is if you've never seen it unleashed a horrifying force <laughs> like, but also yeah that does make sense why he travels with amy because hmm. she sees him as an imaginary friend like yeah. from her childhood and she still sort of sees him like that in some ways a long it's while it, yeah. after and I f- almost feel like the choice between Rory and the doctor is Amy's choice of to grow up or to stay oh, perpetually absolutely. a child yeah. um absolutely to be fair uh though I kind of dislike that symbolism because I do not think that people like growing up and staying a child are not in my opinion mutually exclusive um oh no absolutely not but uh, so i dislike it when it's always postured as a choice but i do agree that those those motifs are definitely there um it depends to the extent also it's sometimes it's damaging that's very true that's very true but um and equally it's very strong for introducing amy for fans of classic and new who who will have grown up with the show um and you know like seen it come back uh was did moffat time it out uh i don't actually because i've never actually done the calculation on this when did survival air i don't remember (laughs) um i wasn't there (laughs) no i wasn't there either but you know um are you googling it? <laughs> I am googling right now. It was the very end of 1989, which means that uh, 19 years would be just like from like given it's 22nd of November 1989. Um, that uh, survival part one ad it finished, I think, at the very end of 89. So if we say that's just like the start of 90, uh, 19 years later is 2009. Um, I'm. How long was? No, it was not that long. In some ways, it almost would have been more fun if it had been 
like the same length between no where is this going joe i I didn't mean 19 years i meant um between 90 and uh uh 2005 when you who came back i'm trying to draw a comparison between how long the doctor left amy in 11th hour before coming back and the length of time spent in the wilderness years Oh, I'm trying to to see if Moffat did this deliberately because it would actually be really cool um, in some ways to because that's part of what Amy's arc is she's someone who grew up with the Doctor and it's an expectation you don't like you know Rose starts out as someone who's never heard of the Doctor her first episode is who is this person it's just designed for someone just jumping into Doctor Who Moffat's Mm. uh, starting episode the 11th hour is designed for someone who has grown up and known Doctor Who and thus can get much more in tune with Amy Um, and I'm trying to to be fair it works on me that is a really interesting point I'm looking at it from this analytical perspective to see how much the meta perspective does inform our character choice because you know we were talking about earlier um being on the same page as our characters and it is a very fun thing to note that this is how amy was designed that we would be on the same page as her when it came into um this new series this new new doctor who in a way because that is how the transition to moffat was at the time anyway Um, i definitely saw bits of myself in amy like because i'd grown up with the doctor i was sort of thinking the same things like oh the doctor's sort of been like an imaginary friend my whole childhood yes I relate to this girl so it it definitely that whole growing up thing happened at the same time that I was growing up like that whole storyline that arc and like I think it really works for the audience that was there because Moffat knew that a lot of kids have been growing up with it and were getting a bit older by the time his And thus, it does also tie in some very fun things with the choice of Amy to be uh, childish or grown up. But that is, in fairness, a massive digression. But I think it's just a very interesting... Given we're talking about Amy's choice, we might as well talk about Amy's character arc. And it's a very interesting point. Uh, Anyway, um, you know, actually, we haven't mentioned the old people, the killer old people. They exist. (laughs) (laughs) So all the ponchos... Yeah, I think Amy's I mean, Peruvian folk band line is just it, brilliant. It is. Oh my, this episode is filled with a lot of zingers. Zingers. No one said that since 2013. Um, Please don't and, say it again. Okay, I won't. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but equally, it's got this. You know, for all the drama and terror it has, it also has this level of almost dreamlike camp, which is called out in the episode, especially by the Dream Lord. But uh, it's very very fun and i like that they don't overdo the revelation that the dream lord is the doctor as well because that is Mm. a revelation that in many ways makes the episode that the doctor it's not i mean most of the episode focuses entirely on amy's character but you realize at the very end how much of an interesting look it is at the doctors as well it pulls this incredible double duty and honestly, it might now be my favourite episode. The more I'm talking about it, it might be my favourite episode of Series 5. Um, <laughs> now, suddenly. Uh, it just does so much and it does it so well. And Rory has a ponytail. <laughs> oh, yeah, we had, to, we had to cut it off. Oh, yeah. It's disgusting, isn't it? <laughs> like, why would you choose to do that? Like, it's a bit weird because, like, the upper of his head is still short, but only the ponytail bit is long. It's so, so really like, yeah, awful it's mullet turn ponytail yeah, it's just um, disgusting I mean, like in fairness it's because 
the costuming people didn't want to do so much and more like Arthur Darlow didn't actually grow his hair out long and it made it easier to cut it off anyway um but it's also the laziness works by making it look like kind of just off um I think that's I think the Rory ponytail is honestly it's the more real. It's more of the, it's like the most unrealistic bit of that particular dream. Like, yes, we have old people with aliens in their mouths, but the ponytail is the most unrealistic. Yeah. Completely. Uh, and I think with that, we should move on to day one. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Okay, so before, <laughs> my, my, before we, we go in. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's just such a weird episode. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was going to say, before we go in, disclaimer, day one is weird. Day one is, <laughs> day one, that's, I'm going to give a summary quickly and warn you all that you may want to just drop out of the podcast now and no one would blame you. Um, but it's, it's the episode of, the second episode of Torchwood and there are, uh, the, I'm the hoping I'm allowed, I'm, yeah, yeah, second episode Torchwood of the first series. It's like jumping in. It. It's kind of like Star Trek The Next Generation, which is basically the same thing. But um, I'm just, I don't, I'm hoping I'm allowed to say all these words, but it's about this <laughs> sex gas that wants to harvest off people's orgasmic energies. And it um, includes several over-the-top shots of like sex repeated <laughs> you know um including uh that one cutaway of the security guard on the camera I, oh my I god was just, no, and it's no it's just it was, that was awful that was actually that so one was unnecessary because was i think so unnecessary how, how else would you have shown the orgasmic energy in the first place if you didn't show them having sex so that that scene i'm like okay then they repeat it a second time i'm like Hmm, okay, maybe this is overkill. And then they put the security guard in there, and it's like, no, this is like completely unnecessary. Please, so, stop. you know, we've been, we've been, I've been doing a bit of chibnall bashing so far today, and you may. This is the ultimate chibnall like, bashing. This is a Chris Chibnall episode. Um, and yeah, I remember the time when the, like the hell? subtitle comes up and it says Chris Chibnall, and everybody in the room just went, oh. Yeah, no, it's um, <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's just, oh my god. So that is the episode in a nutshell. It is the horny sex gas episode. And I, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm already it's disheartened awful. just remembering it. Um, <laughs> also, this is quite an introduction for Gwen because it's her first day on the job because we knew her already, but like as a policewoman, this is her hmm. first time in the Torchwood team as a team member. So uh, yeah quite an introduction um, although it's all because of her incompetence it, well i mean yes it is meant to be like you know part of the point of the episode is a very slight mistake like anyone can break a printer on the first day of the job whoops what a stressful mistake except now it's going to result in a bunch of people being turned to dust by sex <laughs> why <laughs> oh my god i'm now i i don't even know if i'm allowed to say captain jack's joke on the podcast <laughs> um, you know the oh, one the <laughs> My favorite. It's oh my it's god! Fair, it's a fairly tame line. It is. It is. But it's oh god! It's. I mean, it's, it kind of it's actually down. that's the best joke in Torchwood. I have to say. Mm. <laughs> Just you know what? Came and went. Oh my god! Okay, yeah. I said, it. So I said yeah. it because it's 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 tame. It's fine. You know, I. Um. I mean, 
I do want to bring up actually how I feel like, however, that any episode where it meddles with the mind of characters that you are just trying to establish as your second episode is a mistake because we do not have enough on all these characters yet in some ways to feel like imagine it's like it would be even worse uh if we had say from torchwood season two adam as your second episode that would be, oh, that would be awful. <laughs> um like it wouldn't work you have to establish the dynamics first and i think in some ways i know day one is called day one because it's gwen's first day on the job and that's part of the point but equally speaking it it feels almost in some ways antithetical to be this and i'm also bringing this up in context of Next generation. I'm going to discuss a little Star Trek now. Sorry, uh, but there's a point to be made. No. <laughs> um, there is an, the second episode of the Next Generation is called uh, "The Naked Now," and it features the entire crew getting horny for um, reasons to do with an alien aphrodisiac that is making them drunk. They had a sex pollen episode. <laughs> yes, they did. As their <laughs> second episode, it includes That's Tasha Yar getting it on with Data, the robot. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't um, like it. I don't like it. Uh, like, <laughs> uh, it's, and it's more than, like, because it's attempting to be a zany comedy, but we don't know these characters well enough yet to know what they, like, to understand how different it is to have a zany comedy episode where they don't act like themselves. And day one is not the same as this, because day one plays less comedy. It does, comedy. It, to, it does to a lesser extent. It doesn't because, mind meddle as much as that. Yeah, I mean, it mind meddles a little with, like the pheromones uh you know yeah, there's pretty like, much like when going in uh and owen uh oh <laughs> <laughs> sorry now i'm just disappointed by owen yeah but actually i don't necessarily mind it that much with this because there's only like this one scene of bad. gwen because it makes it quite gwen focused in the mm. because she's a policewoman she investigates it as a policewoman would, and shows what she can bring to the Torchwood team. Mm -hmm. Because when they like. forget that they're keeping a girl prisoner down there, and she's still like essentially conscious, it's not taken her over completely. Mm -hmm. She is aware of what's going on, and the fact that that's happened, and then the other Torchwood team seems to be quite detached, like they don't really care. And then it's very clear why Gwen has turned up when she mm -hmm. has. Yeah. So I quite I quite like that. I'm thinking maybe like. It is a very Your interesting point. basis for Gwen's Countryside dynamic. might be a decent one just to go for a second episode, just mm, because just it's how... a very team dynamics, like they all go yeah. camping. So it's yeah. more than just that. It's also so very like team dynamics. It establishes things, but it also establishes some more of the core themes of Torchwood, um, like in the second episode about how dark and bleak it can be rather than about how hot and sexy it can be, which is wrong. What the? F Why? <laughs> you Honestly, on the surface, this episode is very much like, uh, oh, it's the weird sex gas episode. But underneath, there's actually quite a lot. It's no, it's just bad. Because it is bleak. It, it's not just bad because it, it, it really does commentate on like mm. how sex obsessed our society is, how it can be a problem. And I mean that scene of her walking along and it was on every advert every billboard i mean the world just sells that to you and it is oh. a problem and like the fact that that's highlighted with this particular thing yes it it's is, a weird monster fairness, i mean it's a 
I think sometimes it's over the top, mostly slightly because of some of the execution. That being said, it is a very strong point to make in the episode, especially with detailing how much of a victim Karis is in all of this. Um, uh, and, you know, there's a reason why I guess Russell said he did like that scene um, as a note, uh, which is in some interviews out there. This isn't this isn't inside. I don't have insider knowledge. What are you talking about? <laughs> but if he if we see it that way, seeing it as a sort of like social problem being like proposed, like sex almost being over celebrated, that would be an interesting point. But I just feel it shouldn't be it done in a second episode. So like <laughs> why yeah, we're still feels, introduced to the characters. Yeah, it feels so gratuitous and blaring and it's like, not done in the right way like it makes the, right the point it makes the point certainly it, like the monster I mean, itself does yeah. but the way that it's executed is not necessarily like the best way forward to talk about mental health issues it is also true that this episode can be taken as an allegory towards uh sexual trauma leading to hypersexualization, which is a very sad and real phenomenon which does take place in real life um Again, I wanted to bring up mental health warning before then because this is a real and nasty experience. And this episode does, it, like, it feels like it could reach out and try and establish this as a point, but instead it focuses on the fact that she is murdering people and it it doesn't, because of the deaths of other people, it makes inherently Karis seem like less of a victim in a way, even if it's, because now she's the one leading others down like this life. And she is suffering from this, you know, in some ways, a uh, hypersexual condition. And it can be drawn as an allegory, but you have to reach for it because it's so like but like it's like there's a grain of what is a real experience in there, twisted and distorted and kind of really badly represented. Uh, but it like it's an interesting thing to base an episode around, but this was just not good execution. And it is very, in some cases, I think harmful to people who have survived sex trauma. Uh, not as someone who has survived sex trauma myself, but from looking at it from a different perspective, this is something to at least consider, I think. Oh, yeah. I suppose so. Yeah, it's, um, it can, it is, it is an issue to like, deal with topics like that and then do it wrong mm. um i mean as i ranted about in the eve of the daleks podcast oh yeah no. <laughs> I, did, I did a rant about similar and again that was chibnall i feel like a lot of times he'll bring up a good point and then he won't uh like, lean understand in the way that he's actually should. like the nitty-gritty he just he says things he says things and doesn't really know what they mean <laughs> yeah he sort of scratches the surface of a lot of things that could be good and then he just doesn't really dive into it and and yeah sometimes because it, that's not developed it can end up being like fairly harmful actually yeah um, but actually I, I almost think like the the way that Karis is seen by the rest of the torture team as a murderer it makes Gwen even more important because mm, her role does. is to stop them seeing her yeah. that way and that she's very an much important... reaffirming throughout the episode this girl is not yeah. like a murderer it's the thing inside her yeah. she's and the victim they do in all of this end up saving her in the end which is nice and it's a good point to make and actually that does is actually a good part of representation towards the episode itself and I mean it has to have some level of 
danger, murder, alien stuff. I've always talked to people involved in getting involved. So I'm not really going to... And, like, that is a better point. Um, I like the way that Gwen makes the decision that, like, I will sacrifice myself in order to save you. Gwen ends up being... Showing herself uh, as... And it, like, I mean, at least in this episode, anyway, the more heart of Torchwood, the character yeah, who is it does establish that meant role. to be unambiguously good. This is not always kept up. <laughs> no, it isn't. I think everyone um, in Torchwood, uh, they're just not great people. I think Tosh and Yanto are good people, although Yanto sounds some dubious stuff. Yeah, <laughs> Tosh is saying. pretty much the only one that could be yeah. absolved. Um, yeah, no. Um, and the other thing about this episode is, of course, the drug allegory. Uh, don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> but again, that's something that's not necessarily leaned into either. Like no, that could have been quite good, but no. it doesn't actually lean into any of the more messages. It just kind of scrapes the surface on a lot of things. And maybe it would be more interesting if they didn't just try to say, uh, like, oh, like it just it's the concept is so absurd and wacky, and yet it kind of like doesn't quite like it doesn't it tries to portray everything as being so deadly serious but it doesn't actually touch on any serious elements i think they they forget the fact that essentially this episode is sex gas yeah (laughs) i think that's gonna be stupid more camp fun then it probably would have been a bit better um but mind you in the end this episode is gonna get a one out of five stars joe does not recommend (laughs) In contrast to both of the previous ones, both of which I'd say were five stars. So it's like five, five, one. Um, (laughs) You know, we've like systematically, I think this averages out to suddenly being, I don't want to divide 11 by three. Uh, No more Um, maths. You've done maths on this podcast already. (laughs) No more. We can't, we can't stand it. Okay, let's, sorry. I'm sorry. Two English students and you're going for maths. Like we we know about Shelley, not yeah yeah. I know more about Shelley than I do about maths. To be fair, you're in the wrong subject. I know. Actually, we should probably go on to questions. Questions. I was gonna say yeah. Um. Okay. <laughs> um. Oh yeah. Okay. How would Donna's arc have changed if Howard Atfield had survived to play her father Jeff in series four on the specials? Imagine no Wilf. Mm, no, no, there would have still been Wilf in Voyage. I think. I don't think the arc would have changed much at all. It might have changed her relationship with Sylvie slightly, but I actually really liked, um, well, I mean, Bernard Cribbins is fantastic. uh, And Howard Atfield is obviously, you know, wonderful and a brilliant actor in this episode. uh, But equally, it's um, like, I cannot imagine it without Bernard Cribbins' wealth. And I think that... Would I have enjoyed it more? I, pro- I mean, I probably would have enjoyed it exactly the same, but, but Wilf is so, so good and so interesting that, you know, I don't think it would have made an actual massive difference to much at all. But... I don't think it would have changed Donna. I yeah, think it would, it would have changed the episodes because, mm. like, Wilf in particular is, like, he sort of he's a little fulfills, he fulfills that father role. And I think he's just a, a better character in general. Yeah, um, I mean, fairness, that's mostly because Jeff, 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 I'm American, I'm sorry. Um, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. Why do you spell Jeff with G and O? It sounds like Geoff. It's Geoff. 
Geoff Noble. Um, so you've got Geoff Noble, and you know, he's not developed much as a character in this episode, but Wilf isn't developed too much. I mean, he has more development in Voyage of the Damned than Geoff does here, to be fair. Stop but- calling him Geoff. <laughs> no. Stop um, it. But like, I think Geoff would have been a lot more developed had Series 4 of the specials gone on and featured him more. And that would have been uh, fantastic anyway. And I don't think, you know, it's like choosing between two brilliant options both ways. You know, whichever one you choose and you get, you're not going to regret the choice, uh, whether it was Wilf or Geoff. It's funky either way. <laughs> okay. I'm just despairing at you pronouncing Jeff. <laughs> I know. I'm well aware. I am making you despair. I don't like this. Anyway, moving on swiftly. What would the Dream Lord make you choose between? This is my tough Having question. Wilf as my father figure or having Geoff as it. <laughs> oh. No, I'm obviously joking, but I just had to do that. No, um, I don't know. It's an interesting one, isn't it? It's like, what two things would you like to do? Um, and it has to be on like maybe on two biggest dreams that contradict each other. Okay, so I think all of us can say one of them is being um, graduating successful and happy, and the other one is dropping <laughs> out and being successful and happier. Um, <laughs> you know, in some ways, it's that kind of. I mean, that's part of the point. In some ways, between the like the episode does feature between the Doctor's adventure and the work so maybe that ties into it a bit I don't know I I just have to choose between one dream with Michelle Gomez and the other with Ruth Wilson (laughs) I don't know which I'd pick actually I do well Furnace Fire don't worry they're both dreams (laughs) (laughs) it's a a sad reality to wake up to (laughs) no Probably, actually, for me, something about between living, um, having stayed in America and living in England, the different options that could have happened there, I think. Ooh, that would be interesting. interesting. Uh, Coming from, like, a sense of having not spent my, like, spent a very good chunk of my life out of the UK, what would have happened if I'd stayed in America until just university even then what would have happened differently uh, how would things have gone yeah that's interesting to think about actually that's sort of going more butterfly effect isn't it <laughs> it is a little but it's like choosing between two lives that like you know and in fairness that's a five year in the future life like a different life where if i had lived in America, and it's changing a thing in the past instead it's weird but it's difficult to f- i don't have anything and i don't think a lot of people immediately have things to think about where you have two things in your future. Where we can't could... really predict the future, no. Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. It's difficult to say. So. so last question. If a bride disappeared at a wedding you were attending, how long would you wait before having the reception without her? <laughs> <laughs> also, I know from Husok that it wouldn't be very long for any of Husok because I went, went on a bar crawl as the president and then went to the toilet for two minutes and came out to find that everyone was gone. I had to walk the best part of a mile in the rain by myself, came in soaking wet and got to use Donna's famous line, you had the reception <laughs> without me. Yeah. <laughs> the whole I bar full of sock looking good at me times, like, where the times. hell did you come from? <laughs> it was good times. 
Uh, it wasn't good times. I was soaking <laughs> wet. In fairness, we were all soaking wet too. Yeah, but you've done it together. Oh, that sounds wrong. <laughs> I am already talking about the sex cast enough. <laughs> no, um, how long would I wait? I don't know. I feel like I'd probably be a little more concerned for the fact that Donna turned into orange dust in the middle of a wedding. What? what? Yeah, but free champagne. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Probably about 10 minutes. I'd like to say I'd hold up for 20. <laughs> but like the food though, the food would be right there. 19. <laughs> I'd maybe try and get someone to find her first. And, yeah. I mean, my <laughs> technically, <laughs> I will note that they technically did. However, um, the issue was is that Donna then phoned and said, you know, I'm on Earth. And everyone <clears> took that as such a joke that they immediately went on to the reception. Is part of the implication that happens there. Uh, oh, that um, is true, actually. I, yeah. I, did, I completely didn't think about that. It's like there, there is a reason. They aren't just all completely uncaring. Uh, <laughs> they weren't trying to like wonder what happened, but they didn't, because everyone was so shocked and disbelief. And then they heard Donna's message, thought it was a joke. And I'm like, well, what the hell happened? But, you know, it's just like that, I guess. I think that just about wraps everything up. Yeah. So I will say next time we've got Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. The 22nd of the 2nd, 2022. That's going to be fun. So we're showing Enemy of the oh, World. Two, two. So that will be our next podcast. We also still have audio dramas happening. So, uh, yeah, that. Welcome to Plug that. Um, 22nd of February 2022. It's got all the twos. Isn't shouldn't that not all the twos? Well, you don't want to go to the No days. more numbers, Joe. Well, I'm <laughs> quoting mind your manners. So mind yours. Um uh, for context, check out the Husok audio dramas on Spotify and uh, Purple Radio every Monday at 10 p.m. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited yeah. for the next one. No, so uh, it's gonna be great. Come along to Tuesday session. It's gonna be fun. Enemy of the world. Great. Cool. I definitely have fun every Tuesday. <laughs> nice. Tuesdays are the best days. So we will see you for the next podcast. On well, two and two. I'm I, I'm rambling again, aren't I? Yeah. I should have just ended it, but I didn't, and I yeah, just well, kept going. <laughs> okay, let's do this one. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio Podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.